0: What do sheep, motocross, and cattle ranching all have in common with being a great care agency? Hmm, you might just be surprised. Stay tuned. That's part of our show today. Welcome to Doing It Best with Elder Care Success, where we explore ways to relieve the stress, exhaustion, and overwhelm that we all face in caring for an aging parent, frail spouse, or partner. Fear, frustration, emotional, and financial strain does not have to be your M.O., Stay tuned as we dive into different and new ways of finding more joy together with those that we love and care for, and while keeping our feet solid on the ground. Hang tight; there is a better road ahead. Hello, everybody. This is your host Nancy May. My guest today is Julie Brubaker and Inga Lake, the founders of EPAGA, Home Care in Callespia.. Kalispell. Kalispell. Thank you, ladies, Montana. Um, you can tell I'm not from Montana. <laughs> Otherwise, I would know that. But this show is an extra special because it's a two-for-one. I have both Inga and Julie, the co-founders. Thank you so much for inviting us on. Oh, my pleasure. Actually, there are a few things that caught my attention when I first connected with Julie. And the first was her commitment to doing what was right and best for the people that she knows and her business partner as well. The second was how important it was for both families and women and their husbands to do that. But in fact, the first name of their original organization was called Agape. Agape. Thank you. All right. I'm getting, I'm trying to get this right. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) My biblical terminology is not perfect. It's a biblical connection, which means love Uh and the connection of love of God for man and man for God. And I thought that was especially unique, not in the home care environment, but I think a lot of home care people or people who are in the caregiving business have that commitment to their patients, but the love and the commitment of the elderly and the families that they serve was especially important in the rural areas. And it's often difficult for many of you who are in the rural communities to actually get the support that you need. Those of us that are in more, I'll call it (laughs) citified, not the correct term, actually don't understand that. So Julie and Inga, it is my pleasure to have you as my guest here today.
1: Thank you so much for having us on. Yes, thank you.
0: You're welcome. Let's get going. What I'd like to do is talk a little bit about the home care business and not so much how you got started, but the difference about what makes a really special aid and companion because we all know what we want for our our parents, our spouses or other loved ones but this is a business and and I understand that. We all understand that it's a value proposition for us, but it's a money-making proposition as well for you. But finding the aids from your side is not always easy. Can you kind of tell me a little bit about what makes a great home aid and companion?
2: Well, we always say that you can't make a caregiver. They have to be born with that extra big heart. This is somebody that just loves to serve others. And without that big heart, it's not going to work. You have to really find those people when you're hiring. And they have to absolutely believe in the same culture that you're creating with your business. And ours is a Christian-based business. And um, our people have to be on the absolute same belief system as us because home care is really hard for a family just to allow a stranger to come in their house. The amount of trust is unbelievable. And so trust is the big first step. That's why Inga and I do... The home visits because we're the business leaders and we have to have that connection with the family immediately or it's not going to work. They have to know they can trust us and by proxy, they will trust our caregivers to come in because who we are and the transparency of of what we do. It's really an interesting thing to kind of add on to that. We do recruit for caregivers,
1: but a lot of our like long-term caregivers that have been here from the foundation, for whatever reason, they just somehow ended up here. Whether they
0: so they find you, they do yeah. find
1: us. It's really been. A-
0: do they find you from other agencies, or is this something that you think is just automatically been a calling and and they come to you to say, "How do I?" I do think this?
1: it's a little bit of both. I think it's a calling. I think they hear our name, they see something about us, or they hear about us in the community, or maybe they're at a doctor's appointment, and somehow they just get they just. Draw and they just end up here.
0: Over the years, I found, and we had a number of caregivers with my folks. I I had a joke, a running joke with a a friend of mine who ran a manufacturing operation, and she'd say, I think you're going through more people, employees, than I do. And (laughs) in the course of time, you know, they all say hire slow and fire fast, but sometimes you can't hire slow in the caregiving business because the demand is needed. And you know, I made my share of mistakes. But in the long run, in talking to another fellow whose wife had had Alzheimer's, we started to go over the numbers between what he had done and what I had done. He said, Nancy, you're running about 50% better than I did.
1: So
0: I wasn't doing too
1: bad. Have you ever heard of our grandma
2: test?
0: <laughs> Jules, no, give me the grandma check.
2: Lay it out there, Julie. Okay, um, yeah, we are very, very, very selective with the people that work with us. They have to run and pass a bunch of background checks, and we we had briefly talked about that from national to local, CONWEB reference checks, their motor vehicle, and then the last one that they must pass is the grandma test. And the bottom line is, if we wouldn't send you to our own family, we can't hire you.
0: Ah, so they don't need to be able to make cookies. Uh, no, <laughs> it'd, be, it helps, it'd be nice. Right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's, it's actually been so like comforting for me. And I think for Julie as well, when you make the decision to bring somebody onto your team or hire them as a caregiver, If you just say, you know, hey, if I'm not comfortable sending this person to take care of my own family, then I would not be comfortable sending them to take care of someone else's family. And so when you just put it like that, it just simplifies everything. And we can feel good about every caregiver that works with us or for us. Everybody that we send out into the field is somebody that I would gladly have take care of my grandma Fisher.
0: You know, one of the hardest things I think in that concept of the grandma test, which I absolutely (laughs) love that mentality and that mindset, bringing somebody into our own home is one thing. Bringing somebody into a parent's home, if you're not living there, is a little different Mm -hmm. because like you said, there's got a high level of trust and you're not always sure that it's going to work, especially if mom or dad may feel a little uncomfortable about bringing a stranger in. We had, I'll call it the friend of Nancy test. (laughs) (laughs) And it wasn't quite the same test as yours. But getting my dad to accept somebody new, my lead aide, who I absolutely adore and now, thankfully, still close with, it was, oh, Julie's a friend of Nancy. And they automatically, and my dad one day said, she knows everybody. (laughs) It made that transitional a lot easier. Yeah. And one of the things that I thought was interesting that my aide had as far as the test scenario was how they introduced themselves to my parents. Mm -hmm. So what do you do on that front? If you're bringing somebody new into a family, do you go in there on that first day and sort of watch and observe what's happening or you just let them go and trust that it's going to work?
2: It's case dependent. Some people need uh, very high levels of training and it just depends on where they're at with their cognitive um, if the families are the ones that want to do the training, we'll just tell them we have somebody in mind, and it usually just clicks. We're pretty good at what we do. We have had situations just like you're talking about, where
1: we one of us will have to go in as the fr- this caregiver is a friend of Inga, or this caregiver is a friend of Julie, observer, and, uh, yeah. and so we can do that. You know, it really just depends on what the family wants, but we're flexible, and you can read the situation. On the home visit, and really make a determination of okay, will it be best if we're there to help go through that orientation? And you know, maybe if it's a situation where there isn't going to be any family there and there are very specific things that the caregiver needs to know, then of course we'll go in and do a one to one training with them to make sure that they, you know, are really lined out to do a good job. But again, it's just most of the time we don't have to do that. The caregivers get a really good orientation before they go in, and they're so good at what they do. And they just can, I mean, they can, the caregivers can read a situation far better than I can. I, they're, they're incredible.
0: Yeah. Well, they're in there day to day more than you are. And so you actually go in to interview the family and the person in need of the day to day care, yeah, yeah, correct? Yeah. I wanted to make that point of differentiation because not all agencies do that or allow a family to even get to meet the caregivers first, mm-hmm. because it's still a little frightening. And one of the things I noticed with some of the people that we brought in, like I'd said before, was the interaction to begin with, with my parents. Mom had dementia and dad didn't. And I specifically remember one, well, it was an interview situation and then my I call her my... <laughs> my boss, as opposed to my lead (laughs) age. We kept each other in line. I say that with the utmost respect. But she said, you know, Nance, this wasn't right. Because when she went over to talk to my mom, she looked at her and said, do I need to talk to that one over there? And who are they? And they didn't, they didn't really treat my parents like real people. They were objects or subjects to be yeah. looked after as opposed like a dog, as opposed to that. So I, I think that's one of the things that families really need to understand when they're interviewing an aide. What's that first interaction like? Trust your gut. Right? Yeah, trust, trust your, your gut. gut. And I and you may not even know it because you're so into getting the job done or get somebody on to help relieve some of that stress and strain. That sometimes it's hard to it's hard to miss because caregivers themselves are under so much pressure that yeah. those little subtleties are sometimes missed.
1: One of the things that we do and we encourage, because it is that high level of trust that you need, and it's so personal and it can be so invasive to have literally a stranger coming into your home. We, Julie and I always tell people when they call here asking for care, call every agency. You have to know that whoever you invite into your home is the right person agency for you. And we have confidence that 99.9% of the time they pick us. So that's been good. But I feel that's really important. And I can't even imagine just sending a caregiver in blind without ever having met the family, that's just bananas to me.
0: Yeah. What are some of the things that you would recommend a family do when when interviewing an agency and talking to them?
1: First, trust your gut again. I, I know for us, we go through, we have a whole process in the home visit where we talk through all of the paperwork. A large majority of that is going through a client assessment and it really gets into the details of what the family truly needs. It's an opportunity for them to be able to ask us questions, for us to ask them questions. And half the time, you run into situations where you don't know what you don't know, right? The family isn't even 100% sure what they need. So, just being able to sit down with them, talk through their situation, talk about additional resources, you know, and and we always say if we end up to not be the the right agency to solve the family's problem, at minimum, we want to try to connect them with at least the other resources that are going to help them. So I would just say, you know, as a family preparing, just be truthful, be honest, ask questions. If you have a great feeling about an agency, believe it. If you have a bad feeling about an agency, believe it. If you do get started with an agency and they send a caregiver that maybe isn't a right fit, talk to your agency, let them know the caregiver's not working out. I know different different businesses do it differently, but it's really important to us that it is a good match because it's so personal when you're in somebody's home.
0: You mentioned, Inga, there about letting an agency know that it mm-hmm. wasn't the right fit for you. I know that some agencies say if you sign on to this contract that you have to give a 30-day notice or a two-week notice or pay in advance. Contracts are really... They're important for both sides from a business perspective. I understand that. But the cost is, it, it can be exceptional for some families. What do you do? Do you do you say, listen, sorry, Charlie. It's yeah. like the old tuna no, commercial. No. Right? <laughs> we, <laughs> You've lost your money. That's it. It's not going to work no. next. And I, I don't expect that's the case. But how does it work for, for you? And what do you say to look out for? So
1: for us, we do not have a contract. We have a service agreement with families and we are under the operating idea that when you need us, you need us. When you don't, you don't. So, you know, somebody might start on services with us 24-7 and then they rehab to the point that they don't need us that much. That's okay. We just wean it down, right? If we start with them and and we're they don't feel like we're doing a good job or we haven't been able to get the right caregiver match, we're going to try to connect them with another agency because we just, I mean, I understand the business side of it and I understand We need to make money and we need to be able to pay the bills, but we're, we are taking care of people. And so we are just not going to lock somebody into a contract that says, Hey, guess what? If you think we're doing a terrible job too bad, you're still going to pay us for the next 30 days. It's, I just, that's something that's really been, I, I believe strongly in, if we do our job and we do it well then there won't be a need for them to move on. If there's a need for them to move on, then maybe we haven't done our best job. We try to look at that. We do in our service agreement, we do basically ask that if if a client is going to try to, buy a caregiver privately or buy them outright. That's very frowned upon because we have a lot invested into our staff. So there would be a buyout fee in that scenario. But in terms of we're just not getting the job done or your needs change, you're not locked into anything. Not not with us. Um, I know other agencies do it differently. I, I wish they wouldn't, but people have to make their own business decisions. Julie,
0: have you ever seen, this is a tough question, Okay. Oh, I'm gonna say it anyway. I'm not I'm not afraid of ask telling making tough statements. You know me now, right? Yes. Some families don't know how to treat their own family members, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to jump over the cliff and say borderline abuse, if not outright abuse. Mm-hmm. If you see things like that, or have you seen things like that, what have you done?
2: Yeah, immediately when certain family comes right to mind. There was a, a, a real situ- weird situation where, um, you know, every family has a story. Every family has stuff. And more often than not, we get right smack dab in the middle of it. And this one family, for whatever reason, the, the kids decided that mom was being mean to dad or whatever the case, and they wanted to keep them separated. And it was just a mess. Mm. And we just had to take it a, a day at a time and work with both to kind of make it happen. And it turned out we were able to get the gentleman home from the facility he had been in. And we had to deal with an irate son. Oh, he was mad. <laughs> and. And some of the kids were happy that dad was home. It was, it was hard. It was really hard, but we were able to just not take anything personal. The caregivers that went in there, they just, oh my gosh, our caregivers can be so strong. And if they see difficult, Family dynamics, you just have to go with it and do the best you can for the good of the client. And and that's what we just kept telling the kids. You know, this is really where your dad wants to be. This is where he wants to pass. And that's why we're here.
0: And It's a frightening time for, for many families. We don't go through this in our lives, ideally, more than twice with our parents, like one each, unless you've got step-parents. And yeah. if you're married or have a, a significant other and... You're not the one that goes first. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, You hopefully only go through it once there too.
1: I I know. Well, and I would, I'm sorry to interrupt. I would just add on to what Julie's saying that in those tough situations, and if we do see any signs of abuse or things like that, we are mandatory reporters. So we engage the right different agencies that we need to, whether that's adult protective services or whatever that looks like, we're going to, if it's an ombudsman or we're going to Rally the troops, I would
0: say. And so the oddbudds one will come in. In I know that they're good in care facilities. You've got that yes, option. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I didn't realize that they were there in home care.
1: No, we're often in care facilities. Yeah.
0: yeah. The reason why I brought that up is because, as you probably are, I'm in a bunch of different groups and I watch and listen to the chatter that's happening and the anger and the angst of families about what's happening is so disheartening to see. I, I get the pressure and I get the strain. But pulling back and remembering that it's not about us. I mean, it is because we're involved in it. But ultimately, our goal, at least my goal was, and I know it meant many of the the people that I know and, and have connections to, the goal is to make sure that those final years and maybe days and moments of somebody's life is not filled with turmoil, fear and anger and turmoil. You're right. Yeah. We don't need the dark cloud and the thunderbolt coming down on you know, us.
2: Um, so much of what we do is trying to get people to prior proper plan. And we have a lot of community education that we really try to get out there because people don't need home care till they need home care. They don't even think about us until na uh, What? 90% of them are in the middle of a crisis and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm tired. I need
0: help. So it's about the conversation, really. It really is. plan and have the conversation, we, i not necessarily plan like a roadmap, although if anybody has not read the book by One Day, "Being Immortal, I highly recommend mm-hmm. it because it brings in some of that emotional conversation of what to do. Quite frankly, what your own life is going to be like, I think it helps to even think about what you want for yourself in that process. For too. sure.
2: A lot of our education is about self-care for the caregiver. When my mom was taking care of my dad, I got to tell you, I wasn't worried at all about my dad because his every single need was met. Mother is the ultimate caregiver. Every His diet, his pills, his intake, his outtake. Oh, my word. <laughs> she was on it. But you know what? I was more worried about her. They actually
0: say, I think it's something like 30% of caregivers will pass before somebody else because of the stress and strain it's it's so stressful yeah yeah we talk to them about
2: how are you even when somebody calls us on the phone just to inquire about our services you can hear it in their voice
0: and how often does a caregiver get that question from somebody i'm calling julie to find out how you are right
2: yeah yeah we ask people when we hear it on their in their voice we're just like wait a minute let's let's stop for a second how are
0: you? Actually, I have to laugh because I heard a couple of people ask me that question in the past, yeah. and I'm like, what business is it of yours? <laughs> and it was, well, quite frankly, it was probably my own anxiety that was going up, yeah. thinking, I'm not going to use profanity, but I was thinking that way.
2: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, there's one daughter that I'm thinking about just recently that when I first got to the house, she was really angry, not at me, but at the situation but because I was brought into the situation, she was angry at me or acted like it. So basically I just talked to her about what we did and then just kept bringing up now, how are you? What can we do for you while we're here? And what I say is, you know, half the time we're not here always just for the client, we're here for the family. If they're living with you, can we do your light, some light housekeeping while they're sleeping? Can we get a, a roast in the crock pot for you when you come home? Can we fold the laundry? What can we do for you?
0: And they just kind of stopped. All kindness and gentleness, right?
2: Yeah. And and that gal that um, was very frustrated and angry really, truly would call in here just to tell us how she was doing. And the calls were so sweet. She she
0: had to understand that somebody actually cared about her, too. So we've talked a little bit about what it takes to bring an agency in, bringing them into mom and dad. The care process, how to report if there's something wrong. Cost is one thing. We kind of know that cost is, it's not inexpensive to have home care. Yeah. Yet, I know there's some numbers out there where some people say that actually a facility is less expensive. It may be less expensive in having the overriding monthly cost. Uh Yet, I want to explain to people who are listening that the type of care that you get in a facility is not the same type of care that you get in your home Yeah, that's more hands-on. It's important for people to understand that the average number of aides or caregivers in a facility, now this is a larger facility, I'm not talking about a tiny one, is one caregiver to sometimes every 20 individuals. Yeah. So the quality of care is very, very different. You may be saving a dollar amount in the course of a month, but you're not necessarily saving in the care and accidents can happen. Yeah. So I just wanted to bring that, that issue out.
1: And we actually have a lot of caregivers who work for us now who have worked in the facility setting and they just can't do it because they're so understaffed and they just feel just a tremendous sense of guilt that they're not able to give the patients enough. And so they come over to the home care side so they can do that one-to-one. So it, it is a big problem
0: not everywhere. I just had that conversation last night with somebody who's who's an aide and has moved from the home to a facility and it's very different. She said, "Listen, you know, I I know that I'm dealing with a number of people, but if I can spend the extra time to hold mm-hmm. a hand, to look into the eyes of somebody and be there to do the work that sometimes the others are not picking up on the A's because And just get on to the next, it's just another body, it's just another dime, whatever it is. It takes a very special person to do so. I have another question as it relates to what we can do as families that we're not doing well. What are the things that we're doing wrong in general as caregiving families that we should be doing better that you see sort of across the board?
2: You know, I think the biggest thing that families do is wait too long to get that help in there. And not just home care, but hospice and other, other things, because there are tools out there. There are different gadgets nowadays that can make life so much easier, and you might just not have a clue. So get somebody in there, talk to them. Some of our home visits are actually just meet and greets, because the people are not ready for us yet, but they want to have prior proper planning. And I always say to these people, wow, thank you. Because one of the other things that people don't get together, and if there's cognitive issues, it's a big problem, is end of life paperwork.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And hopefully that's been done. Yeah,
2: it is unbelievable. In our home visit packets, when we open the papers, we actually have forms that ask about advanced directives. And very often, that's the white elephant in the middle of the room and it's ugly, you know, even with my, my dad. Oh, I, he just did not want to talk about end of life, but I also knew that we're not in control. We never know when anything's going to happen. And um, just the biggest present you can give your family
0: is to have your affairs in order. Absolutely. In fact, the, I do not say it was a joke, but my, my dad would say he was going to live to be 120. Yeah. And one day, yeah. And, 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 you know, I was going to, I was going to fight like hell for him. That's what he wanted. We we're going to make sure that he got to 120. And one day he was at the doctor and yeah, I guess the doctor asked him, so, so what's your goal? And he said, 102. And the aide that was with him said, 102, what happened to 120? He said, Let's get to 102 first. <laughs> so, <laughs> I you know, I liked his planning phase, but uh, everything was was planned and it did make a big a big difference. I want to take a more personal sort of roundabout real quickly here. You both have kind of interesting backgrounds that are outside of the care business which I understand brought you together to begin with and that's motocross which I would never expect quite frankly yeah. is like you're motorcycle mamas <laughs> yeah. yeah what what yeah. do you see that's that's the similarities in motocross that actually gives you some skill in being a home care worker I, I'm curious
1: I just laugh I just uh, the first experience that I have with Julie at a motocross race I offered to help and uh and you know we're both very strong women and we we have our ways I know, right? No. So Julie she her is like she gets there like this and I'm like like that. We always end up at the same exact place. But anyway, so I barely knew this woman. Uh, Julie's a circular worker and you're so, the yes. linear worker. So, Got it? So I'm helping her and I'm at the, you know, the entry desk, I guess you would say, and I have the tickets, I barely know her at all, and apparently I must not have been doing it quite right because I'm fairly certain that she did come up and actually take the tickets <laughs> from me and do it her darn self. But that being said, I have had to take the calculator away from Julie because that's my specialty.
2: That is not her specialty. Yes, yes. Yeah, you know, the one thing that um, we can relate to uh, the motocross to is a lot of people have the misconception that motorcycle riders are, are tough, rough, rude, crude, So, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And honestly, that it's such a family sport. The whole family is there. Mom and dad drive the kids everywhere. Uh, if they're not still kids, they still go and watch them. You know, the grandmas and grandpas come. It's it's just that family unit.
0: So I guess I'll sort of say that motocross, it's also about not just family, but getting across the finish line. <laughs> Maybe that's part of the hook in the home care business, getting across yes, the finish line. Yes, there you go,
2: that black and white checkered flag. <laughs>
0: I made it. And farming. I, so I understand you both have some farming background as well. Well, in Montana, right? I would kind of expect that. Yeah,
1: And actually, it's really interesting because I did not grow up raising like market-type animals at all. My husband didn't. And really, now that I think about it, Julie, you're the first one that invited our girls to be part of 4-H. And that's how we ended up with the Lamb Project, which our youngest daughter, well, our oldest daughter showed pigs. And then the youngest daughter showed lambs and fell in love with the lambs. And then wanted to breed them. So we thought, okay, we'll try it with a couple. And then now we have 40
2: some just ultrasounded. Everybody's pregnant. It's awesome. Yes, I'm I'm a cattle rancher and Inga has her sheep farm. So
0: my husband who had been a first responder at one point in his career, Said that they learned anybody who could be that was cruel to an animal would be cruel to a person. Oh, so oh yeah. Maybe I shouldn't say that I learned to castrate sheep in college. (laughs) (laughs) With the bag, the cats out of the bag now. Yeah, it's a
2: necessity. It's 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 a necessity. It's not a bad thing. It has to happen. (laughs) <laughs> tell that to the sheep. Right? Yeah. And once again, <laughs> I think that the way that we were raised um, and all of that, it all boils back to the culture. You have to have the right culture and you have to demand that high expectation culture. And we, we do that. And that that's how we are as as successful as we are. We have a no BS rule around here. Obviously, like you're saying, uh, just obviously Inga and I are both very, very busy, not just the business, but with the farms and uh, the motorcycles and all that we do with our kids. And so if there's a problem, we jump on it now. If there's something going on in the field, what is going on and how can we get on top of it now? We will not tolerate bad behavior We just, it just won't happen. High expectations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's easy for people to, I would say, get the idea of hiding in the woods, especially in a rural community. Although my having spent some time growing up in in certain areas of rural parts of Massachusetts, and now we've just bought some land in a rural part of Florida, like we're going back to that kind of life. I find that it's harder for Mm -hmm. people to hide in those kind of communities that are not good. So I'm presuming that that's part of what you're seeing in your home care business and, and what makes it so special.
2: Well, one thing about having a smaller population is you can't talk about anybody because you either know them or you're related to them. <laughs> 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 so you, you do have to be always, always careful. You, you can't assume anything because it gets both of us into trouble, right?
0: Yeah. And Lord knows you don't want to hear that down at the coffee shop. Yeah, Are there any sort of last final things, critical things that you think that families who are, as I'm thinking about, you know, a caregiver who's overstressed Mm -hmm. that is not willing to give up because they are so committed to making sure that things are going right. Just being able to come in and get a few hours a a week for themselves. Is there anything else that you can think of that Mm -hmm. families really need to understand that home care can help them with and just, so take that stress off so that they don't have to worry at the final moment that that they've done badly.
1: I think it's just make the call. Call an agency, start asking questions, and let people help you. I think that, that we see that a lot where families will kind of tuck in and people want to help, but they they become so private in it that they don't want to let go of any of it. But If you can just try to relax a little bit and know that, I mean, deep down, people just want to help. So let them do that for you. And if you have questions, again, call, call your agencies. And there's no dumb question. We are here to try to help you find answers and get the best outcome for your family
0: member. So say asking for help and and being able to set some boundaries sometimes, too.
2: Yeah. 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 Just to expand on what Inga said, you have got to build your village. Who is your village? You know, is it going to be an agency? Is it going to be your church? Is it going to be your physician? You know, who's going to get in there and help you? And then the people that are in the village, you know, there are times that Inga and I don't necessarily help someone, but we know that they're tapped, so we'll send them flowers or we'll do something and my goodness, if for 2 seconds you smiled. That's what a lot of our stuff is about is bring joy. Because life is so
0: hard, you have to have joy every single day. I agree with you. Thank you, Julie and Ingra. There you are two special ladies in Montana. And I wish Florida, and Montana were a little closer because <laughs> I'd be knocking on your door myself. And
2: oh my gosh, one of our very best. caregiver, just this beautiful human inside and out. She just moved to Florida. so. (laughs) Well, tell her
0: to come on over and say hello. You bet. You bet. Yeah. There's lots of need for help down here, but the need is growing all across the country. Everywhere. I'm going to give a few last minute tips at the end. If you are caring for somebody and have not worked with an agency, don't wait. Don't be afraid to say, I'm just taking time to learn what's going on and how to get some answers of when to start. Don't be afraid to ask people for help. It's okay. You are not weak by asking for help. It's also okay to say no, which is really important. (laughs) As I say in my other corporate life was no is a complete sentence. You do not need to explain yourself. Oh, yeah. And most of all, just be a little gentler on yourself it's, it's okay. And it's not going to get easier, but it can get better. Right. Yep. Thank you, Inga and Julie. I really appreciate your time. And we have some notes from Julie and Inga that I will put in show notes so that you can get a hold of them, some questions to ask of different agencies, how to do it. And there's always room for questions. You can post questions in our show and always come on over to elder care success and Facebook. And don't forget, make sure that you plan ahead of time. And it will be it will be better and different if you do so. Just start. Just start. That's right. Take care. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. This show is sponsored by Care Manity, the publishers of How to Survive 911 Medical Emergencies, a step-by-step guide before, during, and after. For your own personalized free file of life, go to www.howtosurvive911.com. All trademarks, brands, and comments are not intended to be substitutes for medical, financial, or legal advice. Please consult a medical, legal, or financial professional for issues relevant to your own personal situation. This show is produced by Caremanity, LLC. All rights reserved. Copyright 2021. Caremanity, LLC.